Today marks uh, the beginning of our vision series. So every single year, uh, we spend time kind of coming back to the basics, uh, kind of a first things first piece. Reason is, um, we tend to forget first things first, right? And it's one of the great values that, that God has always had in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is for us to remember the very first things first, the things that are principles, the things that govern all the rest of the pieces. In my life, I have a number of people that have been uh, really graciously provided by the Lord to me in my life that really are people of early excellence. They're astounding people. And one of the things that marks them is they know what the first things are. They know the principles, and they've been faithful to those things. And so therefore, there's, there's balance and strength in their life. So I have, I can go through the list. I don't want to. I kind of get choked up when I do. But I've got this amazing pile of people who've understood, listened to God's word, uh, in a non-rocket science way, actually, and said, okay, all right, I believe in the gospel, and, and, and they've listened to Christ, and Christ said, well, this is the first commandment, and this is the second commandment, this is the new commandment. These are the, the basic ways that we live. And their lives are phenomenally shaped, phenomenally shaped. And I've been so blessed to have them in my life. And, but I even have a larger group of people who are Christians who have not understood or embraced the first things, first principles. Um, and often their lives are marked by just frustration, sadness, um, weakness, sometimes debilitating sin, because they're just not paying attention to some of the very simple things that Christ has said and the simple ways that he has given his grace out to us. And so we as a church, as individuals and as church together, need to be in tune with first things first, key principles. So we have a vision series, not because we're like, hey, we're going to do this this year. For us, vision is once again looking clearly at the center and building out. So we do it every year. Recenter, recenter, recenter. And for us, we end our vision series with a week called Waiting Week, um, which is, we made it up. It's kind of like someone made up Easter one time. Uh, great, a great tool to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We have a great tool, maybe not as great as Easter. There's no rabbits. Um, we have a great tool called Waiting Week that we use to having listened to the center to then reflect on it and ask the Lord to shape our hearts and our minds towards the center and to once again wait on the return of Jesus because Jesus says, my people will be waiting for and hastening the coming of me. And it's very often for us as Christians, we don't even think about it. Like it's, it's been 2,000 years. It's not coming back tomorrow, right? And, when, and or the next day or something like that happens in our minds. So we want to call ourselves to fast and pray and remember that Jesus is coming back and want him to do that. So this is the vision series. Um, I want to start today with the gospel. But I want to start with it in, in a way that's a, a little bit unique. So if you're watching online or if you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in Jesus, um, we just welcome you to sit and listen. This is, this is a message about the gospel to Christians, namely, okay? So if you don't know the Lord, I love you. I think I love you. If I know you, whatever, like, if I don't, I'll, I'll meet you afterwards and love you then. But this is a time for you to sit and listen to God's children interact with this very strange message called the gospel, which means the good news, as God presents it again to his people, because we never moved past that message as his kids. We didn't hear that message back in the day, and like, all right, well, I'm going to pray that prayer, and then I'm... All done with that gospel thing. No, the gospel is something more. The gospel is itself, it's a whole worldview. So in our message today is a whole new worldview, is what the gospel is. So I want to look at it in simplicity, um, but particularly I want to talk about it today in terms of us being Christians in a Christian church, thinking through, do we have a gospel worldview? Do we have a gospel worldview? So uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 26, 
verses 12 to 18. Betsy read it for us. Uh, this account is um, one of multiple accounts <coughs> of, of Saul, Paul, recounting how he came to know the Lord. And it's, uh, there's all kinds of cool things we can say about this account, and I'm just going to leave them aside so I don't get distracted today. But in this case here, Paul is talking to people that don't know Jesus about his interaction with Jesus. And uh, she read it for us, right? Jesus interacts with Paul, who's called Saul at this time. And, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Um, my mother-in-law is not here this morning. I love this lady. But back in the day, she's in Marion, Ohio. And uh, they received a guest teacher from, if my story is correct, from um, Cedarville, <clears throat> a student that came out to preach at this their little tiny church up there. And he was from a foreign country and learning how to preach. And he's like, <clears throat> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the codes. He goes, you know, those goads are stubborn creatures. Um, <laughs> and um, so goads there, a goad is basically a stick. It's a, it's a farming tool you would goad your animal to go in a straight way. It's not a goat. Um, and Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Interesting, because he's persecuting Jesus' people. You touch Jesus' people, you're touching Jesus. And Jesus doesn't take that lightly. Verse 16. Just, okay, just notice the beauty, the beauty of Jesus. Who are you? I'm Jesus that you're persecuting. Rise and stand on your feet. And Jesus is just like straight up, like just telling them what to do. Like, you're, I'm the one you're messing with. No, get up, boy. Rise, stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom you're sending. So arise, I own you. I own you. I buy you, I appoint you, I'm going to send you out because I'm, I'm appearing to you and I will appear to you again, and I'm going to deliver you from your people, the Jews, and I'm going to deliver your people, you from the Gentiles because I'm going to have you cruise around the whole Mediterranean dropping the message of the gospel, and that message is in verse 18, and this is largely where we're going to stay, so I would encourage you to kind of keep this version open right here because we're going to go back and forth out of it. To open their eyes. And by this, we know from the scripture that only God opens the eyes of us, right? The gospel comes to us. The spirit of God takes the gospel, <laughs> cracks it open, pours it into our hearts, opens up our, our spiritual eyes, shall we say. But here we see to open their eyes, meaning in an informative way. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So I want to walk rather briefly and simply through the gospel as shown in this passage here and then flesh it out in its worldview implications. So number one in verse 18, to open their eyes, so that they may turn. So that they may turn. Our first piece is that the gospel must be known to know. The gospel must be known to know. And so we as people in this world we can't, without the gospel coming to us in, in reading or in ears or braille, if you're so disposed, some of the way the gospel has to come to you because you don't have the gospel in you. No person in the whole world has the gospel in them. Nor can they walk outside and see beautiful things and, and, and pull together the, the gospel. Like the gospel has to come to us. It's an external piece of information 
brought from God to messengers, brought to us, and without it, we don't know what we need to about darkness and light and God and Satan and forgiveness of sins. We just won't get it. So the people need the gospel for their eyes to gain knowledge, understanding, and belief. So, so that they may turn, and so that God calls us to repentance. The second piece, the gospel calls us to repentance. So that they may turn, that they may turn. Because all men, me, you, our grandmas, all people who ever born on the earth have to be people that turn. And the turn is, is a word we use, we commonly use theologically as the term repentance, to turn away from, a pull, full 180, to go from this, looking this way, valuing this way, thinking this way, to going to this, looking this way, valuing this way, thinking this way. So it's an invitation to turn, and they have to have that turn. And what they turn from in that verse there is from, first of all, from darkness to light. So if you've been hanging around our church for like the last few months, this concept of light and darkness has shown up in a lot of our texts recently. Number two, to turn from the power of Satan to God. To turn from the power of Satan to God. So God calls us to repent from darkness, to turn from darkness, being partners and supporters of sin, darkness, in need of repentance, and, 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 and ignorance. So we're all in the darkness. We don't know what's up. Our hearts are part of darkness. We are partners and supporters of sin. And number two, we're called and summoning us out of the kingship of Satan and spiritual slavery and oppression by him. Those are the two things. It's, it's right there if you didn't see it. Turn from darkness and from the power of Satan because that is the universal condition of all souls on earth. No matter the race, no matter the nation, no matter who you think you are, no matter how nice a person is, all people are in darkness and under the power of Satan. And the gospel calls us to repent from darkness and Satan to light, to truth and goodness, true truth and true goodness, and to the power of God in all of its rightness, beauty, and satisfaction. And you can't have truth and goodness, and you can't have God unless you abandon the former, which is darkness and the power of Satan. But this often doesn't sit well, and it didn't with Jesus' foes, um, with, his, with the Jewish people and the religious systems that he spoke to, uh, because you get, the, you get the statements of, how dare you, how dare you say I'm in darkness? How dare you say that I'm wicked and wrong? How dare you say I'm powerless? much less of Satan. Do you guys remember Jesus talking with the Jewish people and saying, you learn these things from your father, you've been slaves, and they're like, how dare you say we're slaves? We've never been slaves. We've been Jewish people. Obviously, completely devoid of almost all their history for the last 200,000 years. Um, but like, how dare you say these things about me, about the goodness of my nature, and about my power and my sufficiency, because the gospel is going to tear down something before it builds something up. It's going to tear down darkness and the power of Satan before it builds up. And the reason we don't want light and God is we are fond of and trust what we already have in darkness. That's the reason we don't want light, and that's the reason we don't want God, is because we love what we have, we love our darkness, and we love our Satan. We may not be cognitively really aware of this all the time, but we love what we have. We think we watch the news and think, it's pretty good. We think we, we bury everyone when they're under 100 years old. We think that's pretty good, but it's not. 
But we love what we have, and so therefore we can't love light and truth and the power of God. But only by God bringing the light of the gospel will people be given the illumination and become aware of the true darkness and light and the power of Satan and the, and the God situation. And in that message, in that information itself, in that message, God is calling out. God is summoning and extending himself to the world around us. And so we have a love problem, right? We love darkness. We love the power of Satan. And we don't love light. And we don't love the power of God. But the only thing that will liberate that is by God himself through the message coming to us. That is the liberating tool. So repentance is a command. Uh, repentance is a commanded, willful exchange of what we want and love and are. And without repentance, we cannot receive forgiveness and inclusion with God, nor will we want it. Nor will we want it. Because repentance is a repentance of want. Part third. The gospel is one of forgiveness. So our text goes on to say, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of God to uh, of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And so you have something old in the gospel we're going away from. We have something new in the gospel we're going to and repentance where we, we reject the old and we embrace the new. But we need this forgiveness that happens out of it. And so we as Christians, we never forget that forgiveness and we never hide it. Um, I was having a conversation with a believer this week and we were just talking about what it means for us to be men who are not exactly young and, um, and never forgetting and never moving past forgiveness and never letting the, the next generation around us move past our forgiveness. And we're happy to tell the story. So as you have kids and as you have grandkids and as you have younger believers come into your life and sometimes they're older than you physically and they come into your life, there's a chance that they're going to look at you and go, wow, you're a hero. Wow, you're good. And our job is to always say, no, 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 I'm forgiven because I was in the power of darkness and under the power of Satan, but now God has, through the grace of his kindness to me, I have now become a person of light and under the power of God, but that's because I was forgiven, not because I was good. Um, see, us older people, by older I mean if you've been saved for five years, um, we are people who are forgiven and super happy about it, and we talk about it all the time. We should. We should be trolling that thing all day long because the people around us so badly need the forgiveness. And listen, we're not stuck in ourselves. We aren't our own saviors. We had Christ who is our forgiveness, who is our forgiver, and we never, ever move past that. In fact, as we look on him as our great forgiver and we recount the great, great debt that he forgave us, because honestly, the more you walk with Jesus, the greater you will understand what your debt was. When you first start walking with Jesus, you're like, oh man, I screwed up these five times that were super big, and then about 20 of these, and then these. But then you get to know Jesus, and you're like, oh, that was actually just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I'm just, I, I in my flesh am just stinking rotten to the core. And as I go on in my walk with Jesus and God continues to pour out his grace, I am just a punk. And I forget him and I move past and I get, so, I get drunk on his gifts and I ignore him and I take the story of grace and twist it to my own ways. And he forgives me and he forgives me and he forgives me and he loves me and he forgives me. So the older you are in Jesus, the more forgiveness becomes an active part of your life because you see it way more. At first you thought it was $30,000. Then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's 300,000. Oh, 3 million. Now we're in the billions, like the analogy of the unforgiving servant found out to be. So we love ourselves forgiveness, 
And we love to remember that we are forgiven people. That's why we're going to take communion at the end of the service and why it's important, what's meaningful when we come around and we take that bread and take that juice. We are saying together, like, I am a person who needed forgiveness and received forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. And so there's commonality. We're not sitting in that circle posing and saying, like, well, I'm better than you. You're better than me. No, no, no. We were all darkness and under the power of Satan. But now things are different because Christ did it to us. Christ did it to us. And so sing that song with your kids and sing that song with your grandkids and sing that song with your MC and with your people like you are a forgiven, deeply loved person and the forgiver is the hero, not you, oh, squeaky-looking person, greatly changed by the Lord, greatly sanctified by the Lord, greatly helped by the Lord. You are forgiven, always have been forgiven with the great forgiver. So we saints aren't good. We aren't heroes, etc. We are the forgiven ones who are proud of our forgiver. And so therefore, quite honestly, we can talk to anybody about anything, right? I'm just you. You're just me. Well, I don't know what things you struggle with. They're different, but we can talk together. I can talk straight across because I brought nothing. This is exactly where Christ saved me from. Our fourth piece is the gospel is received by faith. The gospel is received by faith. Back to verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So so you get two things in repentance. Number one, you get forgiveness of sins then something happens to you. You get a place in heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. You get a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What is the saved life described as here? It's being included in a people. That is in God's broad church family. That's where the gospel takes you. I'm going to leave that there for next week because that's when we move into God's family and what church is. Okay, so I'm just going to park that right there. But it's all over the place. Uh, no more ideas of like just, just me snuggling with Jesus, just one-on-one relationship. Yeah, there's a one-on-one relationship, but smack dab in the middle of God's family because Jesus doesn't fly solo. So, among those who are, and how's described, how's described as new people, they are people that are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctified, it's a, it's a, it's a funny word. Most of us in here that have been around for a while, we are familiar with it. It means to be set apart, um, to be changed into the likeness of God and his purity and his goodness, to be Christ-like, to be, to be unique as in Christ is unique. Forgiven and given holiness by God. How? Through faith, through faith. How do I know that? Well, a close reading at the end of that sentence says, by faith in me. Says it again and again and again throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, by faith. A couple, I didn't, you can get these for me later if you want, but Hebrews 3, 11, 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of the things that are visible. That is by faith, that is not by sight, that's by faith. Hebrews 4.2, for good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the message of the gospel comes out, and some of the people listen to the message of the gospel and by faith embrace it, and thus are unified to one another. Again, leave that for next week. But, but, they, but they have faith together in that message. 
Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So we believed by faith, and we keep believing by faith. We still continue on in faith. Galatians 2, 16. We are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. So in our secular world that surrounds us here in Ohio, 2024, in case this video is heard in Times Capsule, this is where we're at, Ohio, Columbus, 2024. In our culture here, our secular world, that's our predominant that's a predominant religion as of right now. That might be different in 10 years from now. Faith is seen as a weakness. It's a sad and lesser crutch if it is sincerely leaned upon. But it's, to <coughs> it's tolerated uh, within each other as long as it's personal and isolated, not touching things of matter and weight and social issues. That's cool. That kind of faith, it's a fancy, shall we say. And it's tolerated and defended. Everyone should have, oh, it's great that people are persons of faith. I'm so glad you're a person of faith. And it's defended as equally legitimate as all the other such fanciful faiths, as long as they stay in the lane. As long as it does breach over an area of things like morals and ethics and science and psychology and counseling and history and everything that matters. As long as it stays devoid of that, as long as we have a, a separation, okay, um, this is probably a good phrase, that we call it the sacred-secular divide. That is from the devil. Okay, let's, so, so when we have the things of God in this category, and then we have the things that matter in the world, and there's a line between the two, and so we have my Jesus life going over here, my religious life, then I have everything else that really matters. That is called the sacred-secular divide, and that is not kingship of Jesus. That is fancy. Jesus is my fancy. So one of the reasons I want to bring this passage to us is because as we as believers, the gospel is not simply how we come to know the Lord in salvation. The gospel is a full world view. It is a full world view. And our world likes faith as long as faith doesn't touch anything. They've got a space for it. But it really is a weak tool, especially if we stand or lean upon that faith for matters of life. But contrasted to the secular religion we have around us, which denies that it's a religion and denies that it is a faith, but it is, the father and son are not ashamed or embarrassed at all about faith being there and being needed and being good. Time and time again, we're told we're saved by faith, justified by faith, sanctified by faith. We exist by faith. By faith, we know the beginnings of the world. By faith, we know the end of these things. By faith, we are united with one another. By faith, we walk. By faith, by faith, by faith. And what marks the faith of the scriptures is not so much our believing, it's in, it's in the termination of it. It's in the promise. It's in the person. It is us faith standing on who Christ is and what he, is, what he has said. We aren't simply just making something up. We heard the phrase blind faith. And I would really think blind faith probably should get a bad name because you're just making junk up and just you having a fancy about something. We do not have a blind faith. We have a very, very articulated faith. How thick? How big? Just hold up your Bible. That's a lot written there, right? We have faith in God and what he has said in the scriptures. It's not a blind faith. And so Christ says, faith in me is truth. Faith in me is the right way. By faith in me, you get forgiveness. By faith in me, you're included amongst my people. And according to Jesus, without faith... You lose. And faith in the wrong place. So faith in me. So faith in the wrong place, you lose. 
Faith in humanity? Lose. Faith in an elephant with multiple hands? Faith in Allah? Faith in God in general? Faith in faith? You lose, you lose, you, re you rebel, and you continue to live in darkness under the power of Satan, not wanting and submitting to the light and not wanting to God. Only by your faith, not by your experience, sight, or peer-reviewed authority, and all of your faith placed in Christ alone will you be forgiven and made holy and included God's people. Only by your faith in Christ alone. So I have three points of application. Number one, simple. I say this this morning because I would like us all as a church to understand why our church does the things we do and why our pastors value the way we do. Why we teach the things we do. Why we, why we say things in the text that are in the text and say, well, hey, this is outdated because we as humans got a lot smarter than this Jesus guy 2,000 years ago, right? We hold, the gospel is our worldview. We came from this Jesus, and this Jesus rules all things, and Jesus, Jesus will reckon all things. Jesus is the core. So we listen to what he says, and so we study what he says. We try to understand what he says and bring it out in our lives, and we do that as a church and as pastors. We are not, first and foremost, a community of people. We are Christians who are a Christian community of people on a Christian mission. Number two, I want to ask you this, too. I don't know, maybe you've been here for a while, or maybe you've been around Christians for a little while, and maybe you found that you've been shifting in your belief towards Christ. Here's a question for you. Have you spoken clearly to Christ about this? Have you spoken clearly to Christ about this? Say, I agree with you. I, was, I came from darkness, and I came from the power of Satan. And I want light, all the light. And I want the power of God, all the power of God. And that's going to happen because, Jesus, you died for me, and you rose again for me. Have you made that clear with them? Because sometimes when we come to understand Jesus, and it can be hard to understand Jesus, we, we come in, and we sit, and we listen, and we're just chilling. And we're like listening, and we're like nodding, and pieces start to make sense, and make sense, and make sense. And then sometimes, um, Mark and I have talked a thousand times about this, uh, you talk to people, and we say, when did you come to know Jesus? And they're like, I don't know. And that might, be a fair, that might be a fair thing, that you don't know Jesus because you've come to know Jesus in the midst of being around God's people and God's word, and piece by piece by piece, the Lord has won your heart over. And at some point in time in the past, you actually did put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but I think it's really encouraging to have that conversation with the Lord. Um, I, as a spry 50-year-old man who's been knowing Jesus for 40-plus years, um, I have that conversation with the Lord quite often. Uh, like, and actually, when I'm having communion with you guys, you guys are coaching us through that, right? Like, Lord, I belong to you. No hope in my flesh. All hope in the work of Jesus. And you said you've got me. My question is, if, have you all had that conversation with him, if you think you know him, if you've been around? Have you been explicit with Jesus? Say, I've heard your promises. I know what you did. I put everything I have. All my faith is in you, Jesus. And nowhere else ever. I will forever be a a forgiven person, forever be one of your people saved by you. Have you made that explicit? Because if you haven't, I would really encourage you to do that so that it's helpful to your heart and also so that really it might force an issue there where possibly you have latent unbelief and for you just to become clear with the Lord on that and then do as Danielle did last week and get baptized. Because baptism is this funny little bow that goes on top of it, right? Designed by the Lord to say, all right, you believe that? Let's go. 
in the water in front of a bunch of people saying, I'm all in, powerless, being put in, being brought back up. It's a beautiful picture. Um, and so if you know Jesus and you've trusted Jesus, I'm assuming you've been baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, um, where'd it go? They hit it. Oh, downstairs. We will haul that thing up every time someone wants to get baptized, all right? It's beautiful. Oh, man, I love it. Okay, third. Uh, and this is probably where I want to slow just for a moment with all you guys. Brothers and sisters here, is the gospel really your worldview? Often we, miss, we underestimate how utterly, completely redefining and transforming the gospel. It becomes everything to us. And it can become annoying and troublesome to us, though, if we try to cut it up in pieces and jam gospel in the gaps of our life. Uh, the gospel will just annoy you. It'll be like it'll be rocks in your shoe if you do that. The gospel's never designed to be cut up and stuffed into places of your life where there's some margin. The gospel is everything. Everything gets dumped out of the box. In goes the gospel. And then there's room for things that come into it. So number one, does the God, how true, is, is, is it true that the gospel shapes your values and priorities personally? Does the gospel define my life? Does the gospel define my time? Does it define my attentions, my money, my dreams, my investments, my housing, job, and education choices? Does the gospel define me? When, when you go into the waters of baptism, you're saying, I'm no longer me, I am now in Christ. So does Christ define everything in you at your value system? And then equally as tricky for us is I want to ask you this. Is, is the gospel's illuminating truth your understanding of everything around you? Is the gospel's illuminating truth your understanding of everything around you? The gospel of the kingdom tells us that God has created and reigns and communicates over all of life. He speaks authoritatively over psychology and counseling, finances, parenting, and friendships. He speaks authoritatively over all science and medicine, knowledge, understanding, proof, thought, government, entertainment, your species, your biological sex, and your gender, your origin and your future, your purpose and your worth, your history, your future, and all history and all future, what success, failure, and waste is, and speaks authoritatively over the supernatural powers and spirits. He has spoken over all those things in the Bible and much more. Now, he said them clearly in the Scripture, but he has not claimed to speak exhaustively on them. He hasn't told us everything we need to know about all those categories. But he has spoken there. And if he is the one who made it, and he's the one who reigns over it, and he's bringing it to us, my brothers and sisters, are you a gospel worldview person? If you believe in the gospel, you came out of darkness, which is spiritual ignorance, under the power and deception of Satan. Have you come into the gospel and said, okay, um, I have a mixed bag in my brain. I have a mixed bag in my heart. And have you aggressively gone over the reforming of all of your heart thoughts and heart beliefs to be in line with the king of light so have you scoured it looking for it okay how do, how do i think about psychology how do i think about counseling how do i think about epistemology how do i think about psychology how do i think about medicine how do i think about science have you gone over these ways are you okay with that mixed bowl of whatever in your heart and mind that you came out of darkness with so for believing the gospel we say i love that light I want the light, and I don't want darkness anymore. I hate and I reject the darkness. So my question is, 
Are you going after those things? It's a whole new worldview. Are all of these grounds yielded to Christ in your heart? Or do you think that maybe Jesus wasn't as smart as your professor or your great influencer in your life? Are all these grounds yielded to Christ? Are you seeking them out? Each of these areas here that we live in our world, they're not complete darkness. God has left his fingerprints in them, and so that's why we can discover great truths and we're not believers. And God has graciously provided remnants of light in each, which can be handed, handled and built upon and rafted together even when borrowing is not admitted to. So, let me finish out with this. In the gospel, dark must be dark to us. Is dark dark to you? Or is dark excuse to you? Light must be light to you, utterly true and trustworthy. Satan must be real, must be respected, must be hated. Is he real? Is he respected? Is he hated? The true God must be truly God to us. We must revel in our forgiveness, never forget it, adorn it, tell of it, share it. And the people of God in our context, our family, and our most central earthly investment. And finally, faith. Faith for salvation and faith in the person and promise of our Father and Savior is poured, is, is our proud and, and our comfortable position. We're not ashamed of faith. Not a blind, undefined faith, but a richly read, prayed over, meditated through Scripture faith. And we proudly and openly faith stand on the person and promises of Christ. And from there, abound in science, morality, purpose, and all the humanities. The gospel is not a formula to get into heaven. The gospel is our pathway to know Jesus Christ. But number two, the gospel then is our entire worldview. And you get Christ and the worldview, or you get neither. So brothers and sisters, I challenge us for this in this vision time. Is the gospel your worldview, or are there portions of this world that you are not yielding kingship of Jesus to? Do the hard work of that. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Christ has not has spoken clearly about those things, but he's not spoken exhaustively about those things. He has not said all there is to know about pancreatitis in the New Testament. I've read it a couple times. But he does speak about where we come from and how we're made. And Scott Rutan can answer all your questions on the gospel of pancreatitis. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you came to us and you brought to us the gospel long ago by Paul to all of us Gentiles and a couple of us Jewish people in the room. Lord, so that our eyes might be open, that we might turn from darkness into light, wonderful truth, light, and goodness, and that we might flee from the oppressive slavery and deception of Satan to be under you. And that we might receive the forgiveness of sins because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that our sins might be forgiven and that we might be included in your beloved children, the people who are sanctified by you as we put our faith in you, Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice in you, our good King. We ask you, O Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, um, give us eyes to see all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.